0: Welcome to the Vortex Nation podcast brought to you by lovers of hunting, shooting, public lands,
1: the 2nd amendment and good food. All right, what is up everybody? Jim, spring has sprung. Actually no, that's a lie. It just feels like it's sprung because it's a balmy 36 degrees. It feels I'm in a t-shirt now, Jim. It feels like t-shirt weather we've been in a absolute deep freeze. So if you're listening in the summertime, this is going to have zero context, but I can tell you it's been cold outside and it feels good right now. Now, a lot of times, you know, at least around here at Vortex, when we're talking spring, our, our, our minds turn to turkeys. And at least for me, the spring steelhead season in Wisconsin and, and going to chase some bears around in Alaska or Idaho or Montana, something like that. But there's another thing. There's another thing out there in the spring that people ought to be king in on it's a lot of fun. I feel like there's some, uh, oh, I don't know, biological, e- ecological uh, responsibility aspects, angles to it. And that is spring snow goose hunting. Now, Jim, I'm not an expert at this. Really? I'm going to finish. No, I'm not. That <laughs> may shock you. I've hunted snow geese probably six times. I've hunt, I think I've killed probably a total of six snow geese. And on two of those hunts, I think I, I doubled. So I'm not even averaging, like, I'm a, I guess I'm averaging okay. one goose per trip. So I think, all right, if you if you adger, average it out. In the grand scheme of snow geese, that's not a lot of snow geese. So across from us, we've got Chad and, and Clay Belding from the Fowl Life TV, from Bandit. they got the TV show. You guys have the podcast. You guys are just... The, cranking out media and 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 waterfowl related content at a rapid pace i don't know how you guys keep the pace that you do but gentlemen welcome enlighten us on the light goose hunt please do
2: (laughs) well thanks for the introduction i appreciate it
1: no man what's going on having us Oh, man, dude, I've been, I've been jacked up about this one for weeks now. In fact, I think we had it on the books uh, last week, and we ran into some scheduling issues, and I was super bummed out, so way, way jacked to get you guys on and chat about this topic. Uh, Chad, You talking to you just right before we started here, sounds like you have a, a, a recent update. You were just in the field chasing snows in—you uh, know what? Actually, no. God dang, I just want to get to the meat of this so quick. Guys, please. Did you me- have a monster <laughs> again? Is I that should, what happened? No. I saw you eat that tater tot casserole. I'm all fired up. I got all them calories in my body, Jim. Oh, I, I am jealous that. of you guys'
2: cooking segments. I, I want that little toaster in my office.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. It, you,
1: pretty amazing all the stuff you can cook up in that little bad boy. You 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 do a lot of you do a lot of good with that thing, Jim. Uh Chad and Clay. Before I get this thing way too far down the tracks, can you please uh, tell the audience a little bit about everything you guys have going on because it really is so much.
3: Sure, man. Um, we we got a a company that we run out of three different states, really. Our TV and media-based companies in Nevada. Then we have the manufacturing company banded, as well as Avery, Avery Sporting Dog, and Greenhead Gear Decoys. We run those companies out of Arkansas and Tennessee, specifically Northwest Arkansas around Fayetteville, Rogers, and then in Memphis, Tennessee. But we uh, we just want to try to be diverse, guys. We want to try to to kind of show the entire uh, 360 degree approach to what it means to be an American hunter, gatherer, conservation provider and we feel so blessed and privileged to be able to do it and we just love the stories we love the memories we love everything that goes into whether it's the scout or all the way to the end of it when you put that goose or that elk backstrap on the table we want to try to let the, the listener or the reader or the viewer live through us vicariously and think that he or she can jump in that truck and travel the back roads of America and be on a dirt road in Kansas or Nebraska or Wyoming, Montana, looking for mallard ducks or turkeys or whatever we're hunting that week. And we're trying to diversify our approach with, with a platform that that kind of meets all those touch points. And we want to, we want to be unorthodox and think outside the box with, uh, you know, diversification and what we're giving the, the, the audience and the potential in consumers. So we got the foul life TV that airs 52 weeks a year on the outdoor channel, we have all of our reruns from the, we're getting ready to air season 13 of Benelli's The Foul Life starting in July of 2021. And we have all the, the 12 previous seasons available on the My Outdoor TV Mo TV. We have three national podcasts. The original one was called This Life Ain't For Everybody. And we, uh, we kind of started that with just like this overall approach of all these people that we met through a mallard duck or hunting camp, if you will. But we started getting a lot of, of messages from our audience say, man, we want more duck. We want more goose. Send it, Give us more duck calling or goose calling or recipe content. So we left this life ain't for everybody as more of a everyday walks of life. All these, all this different people out there that have stories from musicians to actors, to military, to veterans, to everyday nine to five workers. And we have ventured off, of that with a new podcast called The Foul Life that's about a year old it's all ducks all geese all the time and then off of The Foul Life we kind of we we sistered off of that into a couple segments Yukenuba is joined with us for Yukenuba Duck Dogs we have Dickies Workwear podcast we have Foul Thoughts by SCI so we're trying to match with our partners of specific Ooh. content that we can talk about about sporting dogs or the, the Dickies Workwear is about everyday Americans that work in the workforce, whether you're a janitor, a bus driver, a surgeon, or whatever. What are you doing to provide for your family? And that's taken off. And then SCI and everything Safari Club does for our conservation efforts and advocacy and politics and everything. We really try to center in on that. And then finally, Clay, who's on here, my brother Clint and Alex Crosby, they host a new podcast called Where the Payment Ends that's turkey hunting, predator hunting big game hunting, ballistics, archery, you name it, it's going to be on there. So we're, we're trying to hit on that podcast level. Our social media continues to get out there. And we, uh, we also have some live events that we try to put on with country music or barbecues or Traeger. And off of that, I'll end it by saying we've started a new company called The Provider, which uh, it, it started as just an idea for a cookbook. And that's turned into, in 10 days from now, we're launching 10 new dry rubs that are going to be available at retail and online directly. And on November 9th, we're going to launch the in uh, release the provider cookbook volume one that we've teamed up with Chad Mendez, UFC and MMA superstar. It's going to have 80 recipes. It's going to have processing, butchering, high quality photography, hunt stories, influences, inspirations from our travels and where we learned a lot of these recipes. So with that, we are now going to launch on May first the provider TV available on My Outdoor TV on the MoTV app. That's going to be filled to table, and we're going to show the hunt, the processing, the butchering, and then serving that bounty to our friends and family. So again, it's a lot. We're trying to stay on top of it. And we feel really blessed to be teamed up with
1: Vortex to, to be able to bring this content to all the viewers and in consumers. What about uh, what about sleep? How's that going for you guys? Where are you fitting that in? <laughs>
2: <laughs> not not much i yeah, i don't
0: know what was more impressive all the stuff that you guys are doing or the fact that you remembered everything that, <laughs> like it, without even hardly taking a breath
1: that is a lot that is a lot to keep straight and keep on top of but man i tell you what i mean i and i mean this man i there are there's few people out there charging it like you guys are man you guys are just pedal down all the time and and really doing amazing things i know personally chad you know i've been trying to uh, uh, not I'm not even, uh, I'm not trying to up my short read goose call game. I think I'm starting to, uh, I'm trying to start my short read goose call game. So I've been <laughs> tuning in uh, to the foul Life, you know, on on the regular TV when I get the chance, but, you know, checking out your, your stuff on YouTube. And, you know, I watch it because it's entertaining, but I also watch a lot of that stuff because I'm just trying to see, because I can see what the geese are doing, and I can see how you guys are calling at them, and like, you know, when you're ramping it up, and and when you're, you're toning it down a little bit, and listen to the tips that you guys have, and it's just I don't. Know, it's been super helpful. Well, I don't know if I probably jumped on a short read. You'd be like, "Well, Mark, that probably hasn't been that helpful." But uh, <laughs> I've come i shor- I've come a short way, maybe with that. I don't know. Good pun. Short way. <laughs> but uh, short way. That is awesome. That I mean, that is super cool stuff. So anybody, absolutely, we usually say this at the end. Hopefully, I don't tell people like then they shut this podcast off like, "Well, I'm just going to go check out what all these guys have going on." Yeah, but, uh, check them out. It's awesome stuff. For sure. Appreciate
2: it. Yeah, I think it just comes down to passion with. With what we're doing and and uh, the people that we get to meet across the country really further, you know, brings out what we want to bring to the people because the average person doesn't get to do what we do, and we understand that and we're humbled by that. And so, if we go meet Mister Billy down in Arkansas and his, you know, way he cooks a mallard duck or a deer steak and knows how to blow a duck call, we can bring that to somebody in California or Canada and and vice versa of all the people we get to meet. So it's just really cool how we get to meet all these people across the country and bring it to the masses and uh, it's just about passion and what we're and what we're doing and and we're loving every day about it
1: man that is super cool i mean you guys definitely have or i'd assume such a cool perspective on on waterfowl hunting techniques cooking i mean not only are you guys you know just in it every day and doing it and figuring it out but you you do hunt so many places with so many people and just getting, you know, a lot of us live in our little hunting bubble, right? You know, maybe I hunt ducks, you know, whatever. For instance, here in Wisconsin, right? And it's like you kind of do things the way you do it or the way you learned or regional stuff like that. And I bet you guys, man, I bet your bag of waterfowl tricks, uh, pretty big, pretty big one.
3: Yeah, I think that's yeah. a, uh, A cool part about waterfowling, guys, is that there. I was writing some stories today for the cookbook and the publisher in Dallas asked me to try to give an overall perspective of what goes into it. And I think that every form of hunting is is cool and you can't knock one. I have my opinions on some of them, but I think that, you know, whether you're a deer hunter, a turkey hunter, predator hunter, a Western hunter, you know, up there chasing mountain goats or sheep or whatever, everything has its applications and its approach and its strategy. And I think that waterfowling is, is so it's just a, a massive puzzle because once you think you have it figured out, then you, let's say you got to figure out identification and figuring out what birds are on the wing and how they fly and the speed of their wingtips and their flight feathers and the color of their feet and the color of their beak and the color of the feathers on their head or whatever. And once you think you have that figured out, now you got to figure out, well, what if I have a cripple that falls 300 yards? Is my dog train good enough for hand signals? And once you have that figured out, you got to figure out, how do I access different locations? And how do I, there's just so many different pieces of the waterfowl puzzle that's every day growing. And I know that 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 can be said about all hunting, but it's so gear intensive. It's so species intensive. And then you got the weather that you're dealing with, and then you have mother nature that you're dealing with. And you got to just, all those pieces of that puzzle have to come together. And all of those days that it doesn't work, it makes those days that it does so much more comforting. And if people can figure out that even when it's not a day that where you're strapping them up or smiles make piles, or if you're into the big, you know, the, the amounts of birds, you got to learn how to take something out of the field every day. And that might just be like Clay said, Mr. Billy giving us some words of wisdom, or it might be a special thing you had with your dog that day, or it might've been a story or a veteran you had in the blind. There's so much therapy that comes out of a duck blind or the Turkey woods or the deer mountains that we have to really start emphasizing that this lifestyle is more, than just that trigger pull or the, that fly to that arrow. There's a, there's a lot of heritage and, 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 and tradition that goes into this. And it's our job to educate people that it, it really is a lifestyle that means something to so many people. And I think it's starting to catch on, guys. We're living off the land. Hippies are doing it. It's organic living time. And, you know, people are growing gardens and they want to know where their meat comes from. And I don't know how many messages and phone calls and texts I got during COVID and the pandemic of hey, man, I want to get into turkey hunting or, hey, man, I want to get into handgun. And I think it's awesome that we're able to be a voice and, and and like Clay says, humbly educate people of what we've learned. We never put ourselves on a pedestal and say we're the best. There's so many 10-year-old duck callers in Arkansas that would mop me up on stage or in the trees in the flooded timber of Arkansas. You never can think that you're the best at anything in this game because it'll have you it on your knees begging and getting getting humbled in a hurry. So, you know, I, I just love the entire aspect of hunting and everything that goes into it.
1: No, man, you nailed so much of that. And uh, it's hard to, I mean, it's like as hunters, like you you love it so much and you're so passionate about it. And you're so passionate about wildlife and conservation and, and trying to figure these animals out and learn more about these animals. And so many of our most important interactions with our loved ones and our friends happen while hunting. And a lot of that kind of gets wrapped up in kind of like that singular trophy shot sometimes, but there's so much more to it. And it is, there's so much to it that it's it's like almost overwhelming and it's difficult to articulate like how big a deal it is, how important it is, how special it is. And that's definitely something that you guys are doing a great job at. And I think, uh, I think you're speaking to some of those people out there who may have been on the fence or maybe didn't understand hunting and things like that. And, uh, you know, getting them to, you know, see the light a little bit and enjoy what we enjoy so much. So that's that's really cool. And, and we have a lot of new hunters this year, and we have a lot of new shooters this year. And, man, the more we can do to embrace those people and bring them into the fold and to educate them and help them out and make their journey easier or smoother or more successful, more fun, man, that's that's all good stuff. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, we we learn early on and learn, but the kill is just the kill. I mean, it's it's a moment in time versus everything else that goes on, like we're talking about. And so when we are trying to portray that on television, yes, people love to see the kill, and it, you know you have to have those episodes where it's just a mop up, but there's only so many geese you can see come into a decoy spread and get killed, or ducks get killed, or turkey get killed, or a whitetail walk under a tree, where all the backstories are what really matter. And like Chad said, the, the little things that you learn, you have to portray that, and it's hard to on television, but we try to take that extra time I mean, we're done with the hunt and it's an hour or two after the hunt where we're still getting shots or doing everything extra to portray what we felt in the blind to bring it to the masses. And when you realize that the kill is just the kill, when somebody asks you about a duck hunt, the first thing I say is, about camp or about a dog or about what it's not oh we killed 150 geese or everything else besides that comes first in my in, in in our opinion and that's what we try to portray and i think over the last 15 years people have caught on to that and and appreciate what we're doing
1: yeah i mean i've i've said it before and i i read this in a in a hunting magazine man i think i was probably freshman in high school something like this but this uh I, I don't even remember who wrote the article, but he described the hunt as a sentence. He said, the kill is just, it's just the period in, at the end of the sentence. It, it can be necessary to make it complete, but the sentence is like, that's the hunt. You know, it's all the words. It's all, it's all the other punctuation. It's the twists and turns along the way. And just that kill is just like, boop, it's that yep. part. Is it important? Oh, that's yeah, very important. It completes the sentence, right? But it's not everything. Agreed. Yeah, you need that to
2: bring all that meat back to provide... <laughs> and enjoy enjoy everything else that we like about the hunt.
3: For sure.
0: Yeah, for it's sure. hard to eat them when they're still flying. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but like Chad said, we're going to have a we, did a, we did, we ground up some geese from earlier in the season last week and now we got a, a lot more to do. So, and that's a cool thing because that's a lot of geese, right? And we didn't bring obviously all of them back. Other people took some, but now you get to take that and cook that for family and friends who don't hunt. And get to enjoy, you know, that, that that side of it as well. So, and give it as gifts or, you know, you, you have so much meat that you can sh- to share and provide for people that don't normally get out to do that or have a chance to do it.
0: For sure. So what is, being that we're talking more specifically to snow geese in this particular podcast here, What what is, a, I think a lot of people you can go on YouTube and you can see a pile of snow geese getting shot out of the sky. And, you know, that, as we mentioned, is certainly a part of it. But what is a lot of the stuff that goes into a snow goose hunt? What makes it awesome? Obviously, we talked about the fact that we're doing it in spring. As a recall, you can also do it different times of the year, too, right? But we're mostly focusing on spring.
1: I think in this one, but yeah, I mean, I'd say, yeah, definitely, guys, or Chad or, or Clay, you know, tell us, like, what exactly goes into a snow goose hunt? Because it is a lot. Mm-hmm. as well as there's some unique things in regard to snow goose hunting, as far as calls you can use, yeah. uh, you know, uh, as far as, you know, how many shells you can have in your shotgun is, you know, limits or numbers or lack thereof. So um, yeah, I mean, give us, uh, give us the rundown, What what? which, like I said, this might be about four hour podcast, but what goes into a snow goose hunt?
3: <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, if you think about snow goose hunting, you could start September 1st in all the different provinces of Canada and there's going to be, There's going to be limits um, that are set forth by the Canadian government up there, but big decoy spreads, white geese are going to usually be alone in Canada. If you go up there and really put some windshield time in and and scouting um, hours, you're going to see that Canada geese don't like to be around snows. Canada geese will literally be in a pea field, and when the snows move into that field, the Canada geese will go find another field most of the time. So. If you're going to go up to Canada, whether it's Manitoba, Ontario, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and you're going to key in on snows, you're going to have to have trailers full of white decoys. You're going to have to be hunting hunting with an outfitter that knows the area. Um, if you're not freestyling with your own trailer decoys, you're going to have to have an outfitter that's got the spread to put them out there. If it's windy, you can use socks, but we prefer full body decoys. I think with a good wind, which you do want to have wind and sunshine and any kind of waterfowl hunting, in my opinion you're going to have those full body decoys moving from the air. they look a lot more real in my opinion than socks or silhouettes. I'm by no means saying you can't be successful with socks or silhouettes, but mixing in a lot of, of full body decoys is, is what we prefer. And we don't we don't center in on them in September, October, a bunch in Canada. We're mainly up there for the mallards and the Canadas but there are Americans and Canadian residents that do, you know, really focus their, their efforts on snow geese that time of year. And as it keeps transitioning in to the late fall, early winter, December, January, you can have some good snow, snow goose hunts up and down the flyways. I've seen them, you know, in California, I've had awesome snow goose, hunt, goose hunts in North Dakota, in Arkansas, Louisiana, Texas, Katy, Texas used to be the snow goose capital of the world down in Southeast Texas on the coast. So you can follow them up, uh, you know, down that flyway. And then once February 1st comes, now you got what you get into the spring depredation or conservation season where in Arkansas, February 1st, I believe, you can start chasing them back up the flyway. But the difference is, as opposed to September, when you have a plug in your gun with two in the magazine and one in the chamber, you have a lanyard around your neck with a snow goose call that is very, very hard for a human being to emulate a snow goose flock on the ground as they feed and walk around that, that food source. It's very hard to mimic the vocalizations of a snow goose flock. So once February 1st hits and that spring season starts, now the magazine extensions come onto the Benelli's. Now you got nine in the magazine and one in the chamber. You have a you know potential of 10, 12 shots at every flock. You have electronic calls being Used to where you might have eight to 10 speakers in the field amongst your 1,500 full-body decoys, and you have an MP3 or a Bluetooth player on your iPhone now in your blind, and you're, and you're set, setting those tracks in order to mimic those geese on the ground. So now when that real flock approaches on that spring day, they're hearing what they're seeing. Whereas opposed to when we're out there and we have yesterday we had 1500 decoys out and it wasn't the spring season so we still have to use mouth calls we don't sound anywhere near what that real flock would sound like Mm. so you're keying in on the wind, the visibility what they're seeing with the decoy spread and being on the X if that's where those geese wanted to be and we'll get into our hunt yesterday. But now you have those sounds coming out of all these speakers. Guys, it looks like a concert out there. I've, been tra- I've traveled with crews that have 10, 12, you know, a dozen speakers that go out amongst their decoys, and it sounds like a huge flock of snow geese. And then on top of that, there's no limits. So if you're on them and you get a day with a good wind and sunshine and you're in the right spot and they're transitioning in that flyway over your decoy spread, you could kill upwards of 100, 200, 300. They, there's a guys in the the other day I saw had a 505 day. So Jeez. what it is is that mentality switches from, hey, we're hunting and we're going to go out and we're going to have, we might be able to mix in a few snow geese in September and October. Now it goes to, hey, we're doing this for the, for the tundra, for the habitat, for the breeding grounds, for the farmers. We are trying to take some of these birds out of the ecosystem. And they say it's the duty of the snow goose hunter to go and do this because there are too many of them. They can develop disease. Something can happen within that flock to where they could all die off. If you don't manage these numbers and keep them in control, just like you would do with a coyote population with predator management, we're trying to manage that population during the spring season and it can be powerful. It can be fun, but rest assured it is a ton of work. And if you're not committed to it and you don't have an overlying passion for it, if you you got your Tony Vandemores and your Habitat Flats and now you got Max Prairie Wings, Putting on the world snow goose snow goose hunting championships in Arkansas. There's guys and girls that are so dedicated to this. They, you guys mentioned sleep. There's no such thing during the spring season. You are setting spreads every hour of the day, trying to figure out where to put them, how how big to go. And a lot of them are over a thousand full bodies, like I said, every time. And then the hunts can last from sunrise until sunset. You never know when they're going to quit flying or when they're going to start migrating. So there's a lot of ifs, there's a lot of ands, there's a lot of what, what's, uh, you know, questions that can, that can happen, but you can hunt snow geese from September 1st to really, you can travel back up into Canada in April and May and keep chasing them into that, late spring and early summer timeframe if you really want to get after them. And I mean, that's a long, long snow goose season, but you can, you can stay busy after them for sure.
1: I mean, what's crazy too, though, is like, you know, I think to a person who is maybe, you know, less familiar with hunting or, or even if you are familiar, you hear of like a hundred bird day or like a 500 bird day and you're like, man, like why in the world would someone need to kill that many geese? And really part, and you mentioned kind of the duty of the snow goose hunter. And I I think it's a super important point out and you definitely hit on it. You know, there's there's environmental factors here at play like snow geese are having a really big impact on you know the, the native tundra landscape and and things up up north and and uh, you know I was doing some some reading on it I mean the population since the 90s has grown so much and I mean there's they're talking like terms like irreparable damage you know and, and things like that and so I think it's um, it's it's an interesting uh, from a conservation aspect really. How many snow geese they are, there are right now? How they're damaging the tundra, not only for their own habitat, for the, but for the habitat of other animals that that live in those regions. So it's really a unique opportunity. And I think another thing that to point out is even with all this tech and you know times when there's not limits and you know taking that plug out of your shotgun, they are still very hard to kill.
3: <laughs> that's a big part of it. I'll let Clay talk on that too. But if you think about it, guys. There aren't a lot of snow goose hunters. <laughs> there's a lot of there's two million duck hunters, two and a half million waterfowl hunters. Maybe Canada geese, local populations. Of Canada geese, two dozen decoys. Back in the day, you could use tires. My uh, my, our our relatives would tell us. But you go out in a cornfield in Ohio or Minnesota or Nevada or California, Northern California. You, you know you could kill your three honkers, your four honkers. Some states are five to eight now, but snow geese, if you think about it, there's not a whole bunch of people that target them. And that's why it, it's because you, you have to have so much to even get their attention to consistently harvest them. And that's why what you just said is so key is that they live forever. There's snow goose snow geese on record that are 17, 20, 25 years old, even older than that. And if you don't have a good hatch and you don't have a lot of jubies in that hatch, you're not going to have a good season. Those Those springtime hunts are geared towards juveniles and if you don't have geese that are two years and younger in that mix and that hatch like last year the hatch was bad the hatch wasn't bad they just got a big snowstorm on top of it in 2019 so it made the 2020 season really tough this year they had another good hatch with no snow there's a lot of juvies in the flyway so i think your numbers in the spring are going to go up and here's why is that in snow geese world snow goose world those older geese are going to push north faster because they're over two years old and they, end up, they can breed, a snow goose isn't going to breed until he's at least two, he, he or she is two. So those juvies, it's like Disneyland. They're going to stay in Arkansas. They're, they're in no hurry to get back there. They got a bunch of rice, they got open water, not a lot of pressure on. them. But then all of a sudden, the spring snow goose happen, snow goose season opens, and people are after them. So now those juvies, they're like, they're just, they're working their way back up that flyway to that snow line. They try to get to that snow line, and that's when you're going to start seeing all of your spreads. Those big number days are because those juvies haven't seen it that many times. And they're the ones that are going to push north later in the year, later in the spring, because like I said, they're not in a hurry to get back up there and breed. So a lot of those big number days are going to depend on how many juvies are in the area or in the flyway.
1: Like, And when you're talking like birds that are, you know, non-juvies, right? Like, I mean, how many, I mean, I've heard guys say and maybe right wrong but like you get a bird with a few seasons under its belt seasons under its belt and it's like nearly unkillable is that true
2: maybe not probably not
1: by you guys but
2: (laughs) (laughs) no they're very tough but the problem is you're when when they start migrating they get in groups of i mean thousands, ten thousands. there's huge groups so when you're working that many birds if a couple start doing it and making that grind that's what i was going to say earlier it's, it's so powerful because if you get under a grind and thousands of them start coming down on you. It's, it's really magical to see that. First of all, it's very powerful. But as Chad says, if you don't have 1500, you know, 2000 decoys out, they're not even going to pay attention to you. So you have to start with a huge, I mean, just a mass so they can see and they think that they're because they're very aggressive when they get down, they want to feed and they'll just start hopping over each other in that field and eat a field out in a day and on to the next, and on to the next. So they, they really are very aggressive and hop right over each other and fight. And so if you don't have that presence on the ground, it's very hard to kill them. And then as you say, the older they get, they've seen it numerous times. So yes, they do, it gets harder and harder to kill.
3: But it is true, the intelligence of a snow goose, a mature snow goose is on a different level. Mallard ducks with spinning wing decoys, if you put a spinning wing decoy in Canada, in September, October, you're going to kill a lot of mallard ducks. If you put it in North Dakota in October, you're going to kill a lot of mallard ducks. Mallard ducks, life expectancy and average life expectancy is not anywhere near a snow goose. And snow geese get very smart and leery because they are so used to going into those big masses of decoy or not decoys into the big masses of live birds. It's nothing for 50, 60,000 of them to be on the ground at one time. So when they see 2,000, It's going to take all of the other pieces of the puzzle. You can sit there on a gray day with a high dome and no wind. You might kill 10. You might get a couple chances. But the smart birds, the mature birds, they're not even going to look at you. They're not going to give you the time of day. The wind has to be there. The sunshine has to be there. The right temperature has to be there. The right migration day has to be there. It all has to add up. you got to see that grind start. A lot of times it's going to be a juvie that starts that grind. And they do what you call getting a race. They get so confused and so mixed up and going in so many different directions and they start to descend on your decoy spread. It takes all of that to trick those older birds. We're not saying by any means you can't trick them and harvest those older birds. But what you said, Mark, is that they are older for a reason. They live longer for a reason. They're smarter. They've been there. They've seen that they've done that. And it's, it's because they, they, they know the difference between a live version of what they're going into and what we're trying to portray is a live version. They just get
0: a lot more weary to it, and it's a lot harder to harvest them. Are you basically, like, if you head out and you want to go on a snow goose hunt, and you're somebody who's like, oh, I just listened to this. That sounds like fun. I'll run out there. <laughs> I mean, are you basically SOL if you don't have a trailer full of decoys and a shotgun with a extended mag tube? Because I'm, I'm thinking to myself, like, I don't know how quickly I'm going to amass a couple thousand of these bad boys. Should I? Should somebody like that go and find an outfitter then that does have all the decoys to try and have just like a, a good time and not just waste a bunch of time out in the field not seeing anything? Or
3: I think outfitters are important in a lot of roles. They can provide a a, a platform to to not just see a powerful hunt occur. Right? They're not they're not giving you just that that overall experience of that trigger pull. If you're in New Mexico on a guided elk hunter in Missouri on a snow goose guided hunt, I'm learning. I'm going to go there and I'm going to pick their brains. I'm going to learn. I'm going to try to figure this out because I might not ever be able to afford a Tony Vandamore, but once in my lifetime or a habitat trip, you know, habitat flash trip of a lifetime, that place is heaven on earth for snow geese or mallards or Canada's, but who knows how many times I'm going to go. And I'm not saying that they don't have a clientele that's repeat business. Don't get me wrong. They surely do. But if I'm going, I want to challenge myself. I want to learn. I'm going to pick up on what they're laying down and say, what is making us successful? I go out with my friends three days a week and I never experienced this type of a hunt. Well, what am I doing wrong? Well, first, you know, let's go through the pieces of what we talked about at the beginning of this podcast. There's so many different pieces of that puzzle. That's what I like to do, guys, is I start to like pick my brain of like, there's a blank canvas right there in front of me. And I got all these waterfowl oils in front of me. If it's the white oil and we're chasing Whitey, then I'm going to figure out what it's going to take to throw these oils at that canvas and build that masterpiece of a hunt to where I don't have to depend on an outfitter for every hunt. I'm not going to hunt with Tony Vandemore or another qualified snow goose outfitter 60, 90 days a year. A lot of the times I'm going to be on my own, right? But I still want to have those experiences and consistently experience success. Because if I go out there, and, and, and only get successful like three out of 10 times like a baseball player is considered success, I might be like, man, I don't know if I can keep this up. But if I start to get up there in the 500 or the five or six out of 10 times where I'm killing a few ducks here and a few snow geese here, it's going to keep me coming back and wanting to learn more. So, yeah, I'm going to be a sponge and I'm going to pick up on what they're laying down daily. And that's what an outfitter does. Don't be afraid to ask them questions. Don't be afraid to learn from them. It's not like they're going to think, oh, he might move out here and start a snow goose hunting business right next door to me. That does happen. But for the most part, they're going to teach you. They're going to be there and, you know, kind of be that sort, that resource for you to become a better overall hunter.
1: Yeah, for sure. I,
2: no, I was just gonna say if you can't even if you can't afford a, an outfitter, get a couple buddies together. You know, if if you can only afford three dozen decoys, maybe your other buddy can afford three or five, and the, you know, and you kind of group up and, and and work work it that way, and just start knocking on doors. You know, knocking on doors of ranchers and farmers and seeing if you can hunt their land, and and just start small. You don't have to go fifteen hundred right away, but. To be successful, you're going to have to, in, it's in the spring, snow goose season we're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. where there, there's those 30,000 groups where you need a footprint on the ground, you know, okay. get some buddies okay. that, that might help you out and, and get a group of guys that can afford, you know, two, three, four, five dozen decoys, and then put them all together and go out there and start knocking on doors and making relationships that they're going to, they're going to help you out because those farmers, they want them gone as well. They're eating them out of house and home on their crop and it could happen in a couple of days so they're going to they're going to be more willing to let you hunt on their land if you just go start making relationships so
1: yeah, I mean, right. splitting up that cost burden isn't really something that I had thought about, but that's a super good point, right? I mean, like, you know, for somebody to go like, I want to get into snow goose hunting and, you know, try and buy a thousand decoys, you know, I mean, that's a that's a significant investment, but it is something like I said, if you got, you know, a handful of buddies and y'all like to waterfowl hunt and and you kind of like say, "Hey, let's get into that." You can you can yeah. share that. And snow goose hunting, you generally do that in a in a large group. Not in a large group, but, you know, I mean, heck, I've seen, you know, 10 11 guns, like in a pit, you know, which is, oh, yeah, that's sure. a lot of folks, right? And and uh, so that's a really, really cool thing to point out that it's not, you know, it doesn't have to be just on you. And and that's actually something that I'd written down was that agricultural impact when these farmers are, you know, kind of putting fields in in that springtime, you know, can you speak to anything like what's going on there with those geese? Like you said, they're cleaning out in the field a couple of days. I mean, that's got to be significant negative impact on, on the farmer, I think.
3: Big time. Well, I mean, in the fall, that's going to be probably a little bit more prevalent, depending on what what planting season is and what time of year and what part of the country you live in. Right. You're going to you're going to figure, you know, when is the rice going to be planted in this area? When's the corn planted in this area, et cetera, et cetera. So it might not be devastating to to a uh, you know a, a farmer, if it's if they're eating all of that rice in February because the farmer hasn't even got the water off the rice and get ready to you know replant that part of the country, but there are areas to where the longer the spring goes, and if a guy's got winter wheat down and they start to hit a green field, they can destroy it. And snow goose, snow geese aren't grazers; they're derooters. They will get in yeah. there and absolutely upturn the land. Right? They are aggressive. They're greedy. They're stingy, and they get downright mean about their food. And that's why it's it's scouting is so important in this, in this process because they, it's here today, gone tomorrow kind of deal. So you have to be on your A game. And what Clay's talking about, not just in the cost burden, but that network is so important of when are we going to go? Where are we going to go? How long are we going to be there? And how long are we going to get to stay there? What's the weather doing? What's the forecast? The 10-day, the 12-day, two-week forecast? What's the wind doing? When are these geese going to push? Because it's hard to say, well, I'm going to book this trip a year out and then have spring not cooperate as far as weather goes. Right. So that network becomes vastly important over all of these different aspects of the hunt. But as far as the crop crop land goes, most landowners are going to work with you on getting those geese out of their fields because of the way they tear up the ground. They might not necessarily be destroying a specific crop at that time but they are going to take a chance of destroying that ground. It's kind of like ground squirrels out West farmers and ranchers love for you to come out and have a field day on ground squirrels because they can create a lot of holes for cows to step in. They create diversion of water and the overall process of getting water onto that field. So there's a lot of different agricultural benefits that come in to hunters and farmers working together. So,
1: so what does that look like then for a person who's like, it's like, I want to go. I'm trying to scout these birds. Like, how how are you scouting these birds? Like, what what are you uh, what are you looking for? Are you just looking for the birds themselves? Or are you looking for birds in the air? Are you looking for you know where where are they roosting? Things like that. So you can either you know get on that roost or intercept them. Or how are you guys going about that?
2: Yeah, like Chad was saying, the network is big because if you need to know if that was their first day on the field or fifth day on the field and what type of field it is. And maybe go north. You're going to, it's a lot of windshield time. A lot of, in a lot of time you got to find that maybe that next same field, a hundred miles North of there and go get permission on that. You got to do your due diligence and find the same field, see what they're eating, what type of days they're eating. You get a log book and see what it is. Pressure wise, weather wise, wind wise, sun wise, all that stuff and create a journal to where you can go back to year after year, and 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 it becomes stronger year after year, and what they're eating might not necessarily be what they're eating the next day, so it takes a lot of time, and because on a on a wet rainy day they might be hitting the the green field, on a sunny day they might be hitting a grain field or a corn field, so mm-hmm. there's all these different aspects that you've got to put down but you got to put down and learn from year after year and you might have to spend that extra time and go in hundred miles North and say, okay, I'm going to find this field and have this possibility to when they do reach that snow line, I'm going to hunt this field on this day because I've done my homework year after year or talked to an outfitter or, or talked to my buddies who used to do it before and find that information out to where you're not just, you know, hoping something sticks on a wall if you go out there and and see if you see a group of geese in a field one day, you don't know if you didn't put in the time, you don't know if they were there at first light. Did they come in the morning? Did they come in the afternoon? Were they there because they got pushed off another field that they were on first because somebody drove into that field? A farmer drove into that field and knocked them off of what they really truly wanted to be on. And then you go in there the next day and really they weren't supposed to be there that day. They were supposed to be in another field where they were and got knocked off and came into that field because they were pressured from where they really wanted to be. So it takes a lot of time and a lot of windshield time and, and just being educated and, and ask questions like Chad saying, just be a sponge. I remember Chad, when we first got into this back in the 90s, we were on the phone calling Tim Grounds and Phil Robertson and, and ask him, hey, how, how do we sound on a duck call? Or how do we sound on a goose call? And, and picking their brains and most people in this industry are going to help you out. Call Fred Zink, you know, and ask him questions. And that it's not a bad thing to do. And so that's what we've been doing this for a while now. And and to be able to have that information in a logbook and go back to year after year is what's going to make you successful, I think.
1: Oh, that's super cool you guys a couple you guys mentioned the snow line a couple times and like how's that coming into play I mean is that kind of like uh something that you can watch and is that like a barometer of kind of like where you ideally kind of want to be like are you kind of chasing that snow line are the birds like I guess accessing food sources as they're being revealed or how does that work
3: for sure it's something you're gonna you're gonna look at as you as you're we're never gonna go to it or above it right if things are covered up above it snow geese are going to stay below it. And if they're above it and it snows, they're going to come back South potentially again too. Right. So there could be another reverse migration to where they're in Kansas city, but now they're back in the boot hill of Southeast Missouri because the snow line hit Kansas city. That can, that can transcend as well. But that snow line is going to tell you that's where the food is covered up. And snow geese aren't going to put a whole bunch of effort into laying down on a field with their body heat like a big hawk or Canada goose would and melting it. They want easy food fast so they can feel their stomachs, get up that migratory that migratory route to start breeding because that's really what's on their mind this time of year. It's kind of like the rut, right? So we need to eat to have sex. So we need to get up there because we got a date tonight and they're not going to go past that snow line if they don't have to because they still have to have a lot of nut- nutritional value Value in their stomachs and their metabolism and everything to be able to make the flight in the first place. So, we're going to use that snow line as is our vision of like hey, let's let's get our network south of that. Um if there's outfitters in the area, maybe we that's the time of the year that we want to be there because we think that we're going to have at least one out of our three days, we're going to have a chance of seeing a migratory pattern because the snow line is just right above us and those geese are working their way up to it. So as soon as it starts to melt off, they get some food in their stomach and they're headed across the border up into the, the tundra and the breeding ground. So the snow line does play a role. The communication does play a role. Scouting plays a role. But it's it's you got to have the mindset. You can watch these videos and TV shows all you want. I'm sure Tony Vandemore has been a guest on our podcast and he's a good friend of mine. And he's told me many times it doesn't happen every day. You got to put the work in and hopes that it does. And you cannot base your success on a hundred bird day. Are they awesome? Unbelievable pl- unbelievably powerful, but are they every day? Heck no, you better, you better gear your mind that it's just like the regular season. If you have a picture with 30 snow geese, That's a fun day. That's a good day. And it doesn't happen very often that you can have 30, 40 birds in your bag and your strap and your pile and in your Traeger grill ready to go to the table. So we look at it like, hey, we're not going to get them every day. We're going to be geared for it and we're going to be prepared for it every day. And you have to have that picture ready to present to them every day because it could happen. And if you cut corners, and that's what Tony and any of these good snow goose guys will tell you, you can't cut corners. You have to have a team of guides and a team of friends in your network that are going to be willing to go out there at 2 in the morning and set a spread. You talked about sleep earlier. Remy and I got up with David Wise yesterday at 2.15 in the morning to make an hour and 10-minute drive, and we put out 1,500 decoys, and here's why. We didn't put them out the night before because we were waiting for the exact wind direction to see what it was doing when we got out there. And we busted out 1,500 decoys with 12 or 14 guys in about an hour, hour and 15 minutes. And it paid off with a little under 145 birds of specks and snows in this late California uh, snow, you know, snow goose and speckle belly goose season. But it's a lot of work, guys. You cannot cut corners. We cut corners the day before. We truly got our, we got in a mousetrap and we cut corners and it did not pay off. And I truly believe that hunting always comes down to the maximum effort and what you're willing to put into that hunt.
1: God, that is so cool. What? So you're talking about putting out that spread, right? And we've talked about like the sheer numbers, but a spread that large, like what does that look like? I mean, are, do you guys have a specific shape? It sounds like the wind direction is important. Maybe those those decoys are going to be facing a certain way, you know, into the wind or something like that. And then I guess along with that, where are you guys I mean, that, that's such a giant spread. Like, where are you guys putting yourselves in relation to that spread? And, like, you know, it sounds like, you know, there's a lot of shift on the fly, so it's not like you're going to have a, I mean, a pit dug or something like that all the time. So what are you using for concealment, too?
3: I would say, that if you guys can picture this, and um, Clay talked earlier, is no geese are greedy, and they're going to jump ahead. So there are pit, there are fields, you know, that are year to year with pits in them and you can be successful in them because you're in a flyway that they consistently or habitually or ancestrally have traveled back North in that flyway. And they don't always come back. They don't always go home the way they came down to your area. Always keep that in mind too. So yesterday we found them in an area that we would have never hunted them in the regular fall season. But if you can picture snow geese have landed and they got in a group and now they found the food in the field and there's a huge concentration that have moved in front of the original birds were there because they got in there, and they found it. Now there's this big mass of, dec- of, of geese in this area because they found the food. Now these geese that are back here that are more stringy and they're thinned out more at the beginning of your decoy spread, that's the geese that were there first and they got hopped over. So now this big mass is showing those birds in the air. That's where the food source is. So that's where our kill hole is going to be is amongst that mass up there with the trickle down teardrop effect going downwind of us with the wind at our back downwind. It's going to be thinned out. And as those geese approach, they're going to keep bouncing over that thin part of the decoy spread because they know it's a waste of time to land out here. You already got hopped over by the mass. We're going to the mass within that mass is going to be us in white Tyvek suits laying amongst our uh, amongst our white spread. It's going to be us in laydown blinds if we're in corn stubble that's tall enough to hide them. It's going to be us in a pit blind if we're lucky enough to have one in that flyway like we mentioned before. And that kill hole is going to be right amongst that big to where they're going to start hopping over it. And they're going to start to settle down trying to get above that mass. And while they're trying to settle down, they're going to get into that hole and right above that hole. And that's where the guns are going to come up. So we're going to be just at the wind of that kill hole a little bit with hopes that they're bouncing into that hole and then just right above us. So we're killing them right above us at 25 yards and 15 yards out in front of us in that keel hole. And that's how I would explain a spring snow goose decoy setup.
0: Why is the, uh, so can you go into a little bit more, maybe I'm just being like, I don't know, maybe I'm being a little bit thick and not understand the wind. How does that play into it? Because I'm thinking of wind like we were just doing a bunch of coyote hunting. They're like going to win, like not getting winded by a dog coming into a call, right? But mm-hmm. yep. if I recall correctly, I mean, or maybe I don't know. I mean, when you talk about turkey, you're not worried about your scent. No, and other another bird here with snow geese, you're not worried about your scent. Am I right? Could you imagine was, if stuff fell, you would never kill one? <laughs> I was just about to say if that if that were the case, just give up. But <laughs> yeah, with, <laughs> it's the same thing with,
2: with the with the what were you gonna say, Chad, about turkeys? Oh, I was
3: gonna say they say that about turkeys too. If they could yeah. You know. yeah, go ahead, Claire.
2: But with the wind, with any waterfowl, they they typically set into the wind because they're gonna use their feathers to backpedal into that wind and settle down. If they come in with the wind, it's too hard for them to to line themselves up oh, okay. and be able to let their air out and land in where, where they're landing water or field. Air so, brakes. Exactly. So you want the wind at your back or minimum at the side. So you're going to shoot them left or right or right to left, but never from your back forward, because if you're, if these geese are coming over the top of you, trying to set in the field like this, it's, it's very hard to kill them, shooting them, going away, shooting them in their tail feathers. First of all, and it's not very pretty and, and it's just not how geese land. So you want to use their, their native ability to how they're going to work into the wind and set up because if you set up your decoys wrong, according to the wind, the geese see that in the air. The geese aren't going to be set in a U shape with the thin side upwind. It's always gonna be downwind. So you have to play all those little things and, and tell that story correctly to the birds in the air or they're going to look at you and go, "Eh, that's not right. That's not how we would do it normally." So we're just going to fly on to the next. So cool. you have to have all those little things in place to make sure you're telling that story correctly.
3: Got it. Nope, that makes perfect, perfect sense. Also keep also keep in mind to this, guys, is when you're out there on a no wind day, it's beautiful up there, right? There's yeah. no turbulence. You're in a plane on a no wind day, and the jet stream's good. I saw a jet stream yesterday at ten thousand feet. Remy and I looked at it and went oh gosh, I'd hate to be on that plane. you know they're getting shaken up or shaking up right now. When you got turbulence up there, what's your first thing as a human being you say in my opinion I'm when like you get down let's, let's get to the ground right let's when you're coming into our airport out here in Nevada it can be shaky because we're surrounded by mountains so in our on our approach we get whipped around pretty good and I'm going somewhere with this so bear with me so when I'm when I'm experiencing that I want to get to the ground when it's windy up there, those geese have a sense of urgency when they see that mass of decoys or that mass of live geese to get to the ground faster. It doesn't give them the opportunity or the chance or the time or the comfort level to sit up there and pick you apart. Oh, I can, that doesn't look like a real goose. Oh, that looks like a coyote could be in there. Oh, I can see human, human skin on your face right there. That wind gives them that sense of urgency of like, I got to get my toenails in the dirt and start eating because they don't want to sit up there and keep battling it. and, and I tell myself, if it's not windy, you have to tell yourself, we're not going to have the, probably the most successful day today. Wind plays a huge role hmm. in waterfowl hunting. It' Not just setting them up, but creating that sense of urgency in their brains and their ears of like, we got to get to the ground, guys. And they get there so much faster. They start cutting that wind. You've seen what they call a Canadian maple leaf Well, When those birds do it, they maple leaf. They look like a leaf falling off the tree. They turn snow geese that a lot of snow goose hunters, their favorite mount in taxidermy is an upside down goose with his head still pointed forward because they will invert themselves completely 180 degrees upside down while they're flipping that wind and breaking it to get to the ground. So wind is going to create that urgency to get to the ground. It's going to set them up for you. And it's going to give you the ability to, to line them up in that kill hole of like, all right, here comes their approach. They might, the snow geese, as opposed to mallards, in a cornfield, mallards are going to work horizontally. In flooded timber, mallards work vertically, straight down on you. Snow geese don't get down on the ground and start working horizontally like a Canada goose might. A lesser Canada goose is going to work more vertically than a big Canada goose. If you can stay with me, a, a snow goose flock is going to work like a like a just a tornado of of a, a vortex, if you will, and they're just going to cut, fall down like this of a spiral. Into your decoy spread vertically so keep that in mind that that wind is a necessity and if you can get one thing on your team uh, you
1: know on your side in your arsenal
3: it's sunshine
1: and wind sunshine and wind and the fact that they created like coming down in the vortex gym we might be obligated to hunt snow geese now i don't know that <laughs> might might be some hey that new could rule. be a
3: cool shirt design
0: that could Ooh. be a cool shirt design with the could, vortex yeah i think v it's and, a great band name sunshine and wind <laughs> By the Vortex Nation podcast.
2: Let's let's hear the first line of it, Jimmy. Sing it up. What kind of music
1: would that be?
0: Oh, uh, I don't know. It'd probably be like some weird alternative rock. That's how I see it. I don't know what the first line would be. To be honest with you, I'm, I'm picturing something for the Texas 60s time. Vortex of coming in, and I don't know. We can cut this, right? We
1: can cut this part. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let it that out. It sounds like band of like the 60s or 70s. You know, it does. Um, hey, hey a lot Chad, of mustaches. Case. You, you guys are talking about, you know, like that vortex or that tornado or, or the, those birds coming in, you know, vertically. And it sounds like you guys had, you know, just an amazing shoot the other day. Like, in contrast, and maybe maybe you can even tell me what's going on here. Like, like I said, in the few times I've gone snow goose hunting, the only birds we've killed, I and mean, we've seen birds, like, up working that just never did it, never committed. But you just get these, like, ghost-like singles that come in. Out of nowhere, they don't say a peep, and they just come gliding in. And and it's been hours; you haven't seen anything for hours, and all of a sudden, just like the silent goose comes in by itself, and you're like, "Why are you even here right now?" Like it's the Jason Bourne of I guess. So maybe what's going on there, and then we can contrast that to like what it's like when they do it, which I've only seen on like the big screen with you guys. But it looks pretty cool from the outside in.
3: I'd say it's a. It's they get lost lost in yeah, transition. Say lost. It's probably going to be a juvenile that got kicked out of the flock or kicked out of the herd, if you will, or just lost his or her way. And they see that mass and they come barreling in. If it's an older goose, you're going to have a heck of a time killing a single snow goose if it's a mature goose, a three, four, five, ten 10 year old. But um, yeah, sometimes you're going to see that to where on a, on a good migration day, it's more than likely going to be a consistent flight of every 30 minutes, you're going to look up and see silver and hear them. And they're going to start to descend down. If you got your speakers positioned right and your spread looks favorable enough, you're going to start, you're going to work a flock probably every 30 minutes. And if they're a little bit closer, you might get two or three to join in at the same time, kind of like timber hunt mallards in Arkansas, where the the higher ducks see the lower ducks over the tree. So they put the freaking landing, you know, they get their parachute on fast and they descend down to that. 10 ducks in Arkansas can turn into 200 in a matter of seconds. And the same with spring snow goose hunting. So you're looking for those days that would historically provide a migration day. It's unbelievable to have a migration day in the fall, right? When you get that north wind and they're riding it down, and you're just telling yourself, we might be on a mi- migration day. And it sounds like a jet plane. <laughs> When you look up and it's just a silver bullet coming out of the air and it's 300 mallards that are migrating and they see the ripples on the water and your decoys and they, they're hitting that snow geese are the same thing on those spring days. You will know when it's a migration day because they will be active. And when you can see it right now. If you go outside in a snow goose area right now, you're going to see activity on a day like today with sunshine and a wind, whether it's south or they're bucking a little bit of a north wind, you're going to see activity. So you'd want to put yourself in a position to be out there on those days. In my opinion, they want to migrate on sunny, windy days so they can navigate, see the food source, see the snow line and figure it out from there.
2: And then I was going to say one more thing with the wind is you want to be able to
3: don't get ahead
2: of yourself on, on calling the shot because on a windy day and you think, oh, I'm going to shoot this, this first little bit of this vortex, at 15, 20 yards, or 20 or 30 yards, your next shots are at 40, 50, 50, 60 yards, because they'll just turn with their wings, hit that wind, and they're gone. So you got to be patient enough to to allow yourself, okay, we're, they're working our spread, they like what they're seeing, let's stay hidden, let's get the first maybe flock on the ground and let those that other part of the vortex get down to where you're going to have a good chance to kill a lot of them and not try to jump yourself. And you get those first couple of geese right there, right away. Because like I said, the next part of that vortex is at 60 yards real quick and you're not going to kill very many. So be patient and and trust in your hide and your, and your ability to shoot as far as getting the first little bit on the ground and then taking those next ones that
3: are coming in. Clay makes a good point because of the distances, you know, with the wind of what you could be, experiencing as a snow goose hunter and yeah. the mindset always goes to we're gonna unload on every flock you do have a chance to kill a lot of birds with that many g- guns in your mat you know that many shotgun shells in your magazine and chamber but you don't always have to have the mindset that you have to unload on every flock um, they steal whether you're a coyote hunter who, you know everybody listening to the vortex podcast whether you're a coyote hunter that traps or you know runs lines, or calls coyotes, or works for the government and gets an airplane job on them, we still have to keep in mind that they are a respectable animal, right? We need to show them the utmost compassion and respect. I have so much admiration and respect for coyotes. And when you hear people say things like, oh, screw a coyote, or they even say worse than that, he ate my cat, she came into my yard. We got to keep in mind that we built into their country. We continue to build in to the snow goose country, the Canada goose country, and then we want to bitch about it when there's a bunch of goose poop on our golf course or around our subdivisions and our ponds and our fountains. They were living in that cornfield way before that farmer sold it to that development company and that home building company. So let's have respect for these snow geese that. We don't have to try to shoot 10 times at every flock and stack them up every single day. It happens and we can get them tight and we can be patient and let our instincts and our skill sets go to work and say, all right, guys, there they are, 20 yards, get them and we'll kill 30 out of a flock. And that's good. I love to kill animals. I love to eat animals. I'm not going to make excuses or apologize for it, but let's keep in mind that we do deserve, we do need to show them respect and they deserve that respect of an animal, a live animal. And we have, to be able to look at it like, man, we're taking an animal's life. So we don't need to shoot at them at 80 yards when they're going away and put a BB in their wing and cripple them so they do go go land and get eaten by a coyote. Because could you imagine going through that, coming in and seeing all these guns shoot at you, getting crippled, and then the next day you got a big mouth of a coyote open on your ass? Like that is scary to think about that. And I'm not trying to say that we have to have pity or anything. I'm just saying the respect level has to be there that we don't have to unload at 90 yards every time we see a flock of snow geese.
1: Yeah, that makes yeah makes perfect. No, sense. that that is that a good that is a good point. I I can say I mean I love hunting coyotes. I don't want to get eaten by one. That is a fact, Jim. That That's is that is, that is a bona fide fact. What about? I mean, snow geese are noisy, right? I mean, you're talking about using like these e collars, these giant spreads, mimicking, uh, you know, with multiple speakers, a lot of noise. Have you ever gotten them um, like a a big enough group to work? that you actually get birds to commit and just in that chaos, you're able to shoot at a group of birds, but they keep coming because it's just like so much chaos, so much noise. They can't see the, the through the birds that are on, on the lower deck. Does that ever happen?
3: That's a great question, man. Yeah. And,
1: <laughs> it happens a lot.
3: It's like kind of like the mentality we just talked about with coyotes. And I apologize if I said too much there about coyotes and the respect of the animal, but it, when you're hunting coyotes with, silencers, right. And suppressors and they don't hear it. And another one comes in. The last thing a predator hunter wants to do is kill a coyote and then jump up and celebrate because there could be two or three more coming that might not have heard that shot or just thought it was a truck door slamming or a tractor going by snow geese are the same way. And you bring up a great point is that through all of that chaos and that noise, those birds that are grinding might be so confused that when when the shots go off and some die, if you just stay the course and stay down and don't send your dog yet, you have a pretty good success rate or opportunity or potential opportunity of bringing that flock back in or another flock that was starting to descend that didn't really catch the gist of what just happened to their brothers and sisters. So stay patient and try to work that flock again. They could
1: come back for sure. Super interesting. Like I said, Jim, I've never experienced that day, but it just, it seems super cool. But I mean, and again, for me, like I don't, the uh, go, Going back to the, the resource commitment, I mean, that is that is a commitment. I mean, it is, you know, to amass that many decoys and the gear. And like you said, and not only that, but the the time, right, the scouting. And I feel like we've been talking about all the fun part. Now I'm going back into, like, the hard work part, which is actually probably part of the fun, right? Um, I think if you're into it, you're into it, and you're going to get a lot of enjoyment out of it because of the hard work that you have to put in, the windshield time, and, you know, you're networking with your friends and other outfitters that you might know you know those are all fun conversations to have and i think uh like we talked about earlier pulling the trigger is is fun and it's cool and we all want to do it but the story and the process is probably i think what we're after a lot of the time or at the same time
2: yeah i was gonna i was gonna say that you make a good point as far as did you go out there and with a couple buddies and i saw some snow geese over there and like you killed one or two expecting to kill 100 well did you now go back and rewind what you did. Did you put in that time? Did you do this to, to make yourself more successful? If you can say, if you say no on any of that, then, you know, you're, you're either don't have the passion for it or you didn't do your homework enough to fully commit to it. Like Chad would say, everything in the snow goose world has to be on point in the spring to make it you get those hundred to 500 days, you know what I'm saying? So if you didn't put in the time and the windshield time and the scouting and the, and amass that network of friends and family and, and farmers, it's going to be even harder to do that. Yep. Mm -hmm. I do. And you want to be, sorry, I was going to say, and you want to be successful. So if you go out there and get frustrated in your, in not killing 10, 20, 40, or even a hundred, is it on you or is it on, on, if you, if you put everything into it and you still didn't do that, that's that's still fun but you can you you can work from there but if you didn't put everything into it and then get frustrated with your not successful then that's on you
1: for sure i've got one more question it's kind of my my wrap-up question but i want to make sure that i've got one more too we're kind of wrapped so okay what's your question jim
0: I was just going to ask about the, on the speaker side of things, like, you know, you met, you did mention at one point setting up your speakers right and also having multiple speakers, like what kind of speakers are these exactly? Are they, is there a specific snow goose speaker out there to go and find, or is it like a, another kind of speaker you, that might double as like your predator calling speaker or something like that, or uh, that, and then how do you, in essence, set them up right? You can't just toss them out there per se, or...
3: Great question, and a lot of the things that you're going to see are the old Johnny Stewart Predator model speakers. Um, you're going to see some of the Fox Pro stuff, a lot of the Mojo stuff that you can that you can use that speaker setup. But if you want to get real crafty with it, with the uh, with with technology today, guys, and this Bluetooth system and the way that you can, there's a company out there called Deemer Box that um, that we work with that is a, a speaker that's within a Pelican case that ha- that you can control with Bluetooth, and you can pair six to eight of these up together. There's other Bluetooth speaker bars, wet bars, wet sounds. Um, Rockford Fosgate makes a really cool speaker setup. Depending on what your investment is and your budget on this, you can get very creative with your Bluetooth capability of getting the right frequency out there with treble and harmony and bass and, every, and percussion. And if you really want to mix it up right, and trust me, there are snow goose hunters that do. Um, you, you, you have to keep in mind though that there is the potential of these birds falling on them, a dog running over them, a four-wheeler running over them. So you want to build protective casings, protective boxing, protection for your wiring and all of the cables that are going to be ran for all of these systems. It is a study. There is instruction out there on how to put this together. If you go with an outfitter, it might be something that you pick his brand, this might be an area that a lot of people are going to hold back information on, especially when it comes to the snow goose audio tracks and where they get them and how to get them, the best way to do it is try to figure out how to get your own and how to set up these speakers and a recording device out in a field where you see snow goose accumulating. We've done it with ducks. We've done it with geese where we go out and hide speakers and recording systems in blinds. And as they start to grind on that field and land in there because you're scouting, you know they're going into this area. You can get those natural sounds. But um, do your best to study that part of it and come up with a pretty much, it's kind of like setting a stage for a concert. And you got your your audio video guys that get in there and your sound technicians become a sound technician of snow geese. Because if you can emulate and replicate those sounds in the spring, you're going to up your success rate, opportunity and potential wholeheartedly. Cool. Cool.
1: What would you say, like as far as like the uh, the authenticity of those sounds and the quality of the speakers, is that a difference maker? I mean, does that make? I mean, is that going to be a a good day versus an average day, or, hundred percent, yeah.
3: Now I'm not saying that you're not going to get them with maybe the nobody's home deal, but I'm telling you, it's not realistic. If you want to put those pieces of the puzzle together and you want to be a perfectionist, we want to be as realistic as possible. When I look at my buddies. And I blow a mallard call or Clegg blows the Canada Goose short recall, like you talked about at the beginning of the show. I want to sound like geese. I want to sound like ducks. I want to look like them. I want to move like them. I want to hide. I want to have a well trained dog. I want to scout ride. I want to have my vortex all organized. I got this bag organized with my binoculars, my rangefinders, my spotting scopes, my tripods. I want to put it together. And when you're out there and you sound, if you have just a, a mouth call for snow geese, chances of you sounding like 1,500 of them slim to none, right? Impossible. Even if you have five guys doing it, you can sound like, them. don't get me wrong, but it's hard to emulate the power of a snow goose flock of 10,000 or more birds. So you, you, those speakers are the clarity of those speakers, the depth of those speakers and those audio files are going to be key. When those snow geese fly over and they look at it and they're like, well, that looks real. I've been to that field before. And they get a little closer and like, Whoa, that sounds real. And a lot of times it's going to be that sound and that volume that's going to cut that snow goose flock. They're going to hear that and start to descend on that sound, let alone the vision part of it. Okay. So keep that in mind that the sounds we make on the ground are very important to at least in in getting their attention in the first place. So yeah, it's a great point. You want to sound clear, you want to sound realistic and you want to be loud and you want to be able to hopefully have volume control to where somebody's dedicated to where the closer they get, you can lessen that volume a little bit to where it's not blowing them out of there and, and sounding unrealistic as they get closer to it. When they're ten, when they're a thousand feet high, yeah, it's going to be louder than when they're at eighty yards and descending down into your kill hole.
1: Hmm. Super good point. That was going to be my next. My next question was that volume control and how you're how you're managing that. Which I mean, that does Descends. make sense. If I was going to call at you, Jim, from hundred yards away, I might shout at you, and you might turn my direction and start heading my way. But I'm not gonna continue shouting at you when you're right next to me. If he stole right, wall, you yell at me stole a lot. your walleye. If you well, stole your fried walleye, you might. I actually I'm I'm throwing punches at that point. We're not we're not we're, we're not <laughs> well, on speaking terms.
3: I'll
1: take some I'll <laughs> take <laughs> some walleye if you wanna uh are we
3: on good enough terms here that y'all can yeah. ship us walleye?
1: I'll ship you guys some walleye and you guys you, you guys got, I'm not going to throw any punches at you guys. I can tell you that. Um, hey, let, me
3: say something, let me say something real te- real quick, Team Vortex. I'm serious about this. I keep saying Tony Vandemore. There's a guy named Tyson Keller out there from the, from the Pierce, South Dakota area. But back in the early 2000s, this craze hit of spring snow goose hunting and companies like Avery and Greenhead Gear were up there in the front of creating this culture of, this passion and tenacity that goes into it. So if you go and research Tony Vandemore habitat flats, Tyson Keller, you're going to see some zinc calls videos. One specifically is called Snowstorm. You're going to see some habitat flat productions. You're going to see some YouTube and online stuff. Um, Tony's got a lot of content out there. He's got a great social media and I don't want to make it sound like we are the the front, you know, the foremost knowledge in this area. We're, we're by far not we, we appreciate the opportunity to come on here and talk about it and spread the love and, and passion and desire to be successful in snow goose hunting, especially the springtime. But look up Tony Vandemore and Habitat Flats, Tyson Keller and, and, and research what they did back from like 2005 to current and see what they've done with decoy spreads, scouting what timelines they set up their decoy spreads, what time of year they're successful, how they bounce from Louisiana to Arkansas to Mississippi to Southeast Missouri to Northern Missouri to the, you know, to the Nebraska's and Kansas's and the Dakotas. They, they take you through this entire lifestyle and culture of what it will take to get into this. Because if you get into it, you better be ready for a roller coaster ride. It's not easy. It can be scary and it's going to take the energy level of, I don't even know how many, you know, teenagers to make it happen so just keep that in mind but do the research look up the guys that have become the authorities in it like vandamore and tyson keller there's others out there and educate yourself and really you know really try to to create your own approach and arsenal with this deal
1: i like it what was your last one mark well and so here's here's my last question we're gonna wrap with this okay you guys just had a phenomenal hunt i mean you're out with remy warren with david weiss enjoying uh, what sounds like just a phenomenal snow. My, my jealousy is off the charts because that's literally like probably some of my favorite people in the world. So I mean, what, a, what an awesome crew to have out there and chase snows with or really enjoy any outdoor experience with. And, and like we're talking, man, that's, that may, that's what makes it probably the most special is, is the people you're spending that time with. But I feel like snow geese oftentimes they're kind of they kind of a maligned species. I mean, people call them sky carp. I mean, what a horrible... Actually, I think carp aren't even that bad to eat. So, I mean, maybe it's a compliment. I don't know. But I think <laughs> it's meant negatively. You guys were out there. You guys shot a bunch of snows. You've done it in the past. You've eaten a lot of snows. What, uh, I think you guys were creating some content around how to cook snow, some snow geese recipes. So what What for you guys would be... And I, and I want this from both of you. like What's your favorite thing to do with a snow goose?
2: If If you're like in camp, or you want to get back to getting, cause you're, you know, you're killing a lot of birds, right? So a good way to get rid or consume a lot of them, there's a couple different recipes. Obviously you can grind them and make them into sticks or, or sausages or chorizo or anything like that. But we have a, a really good recipe that we learned and it's uh, pulled goose sandwiches. You can do this with any, any type of goose, but you boil them first and then put them into a crock pot with apple cider and uh, let them cook for like eight hours and then make a pulled pork, basically pulled pork sandwich out of them. Uh, mm. Throw in your favorite barbecue sauce, put on some green onions and pickles on a on a roll and it, it, very, very good. And it's a good way to get rid of a lot uh, of, of snow geese in a hurry because they're very good. So it's uh, people enjoy them. So it's a good way to get because because the next day, you're going to be killing more, hopefully, right? And the next day, you're going to be killing more. So, you got to find a way to get rid of all of these. And a good way thing, there's some states that allow you to donate this meat as well. Um, so, you nice. in Nevada, you can't do that. But in some certain certain states, I'm not sure on all of them, but you can donate them to, you know, Feeding the Hungry or Hunters Helping the Hungry or uh, programs like that. So,
1: a that's a good cool. way to do it. I like that. Yeah. I mean, like you said, and that sounds like something you could make in a pretty good batch for a big group of people and eat a bunch of oh, I'd put the hurting pulled, on my stomach with that. Pulled snow goose <laughs> sandwiches. So yeah, y'all dang it. Chad, what about you, man? I think you know, the pulled goose sandwich recipe is awesome. You gotta have
3: pickles, you gotta have cheese, you gotta have an onion bun when it's done. You wanna make sure that you slow cook that on low for about eight hours. The last hour, the ninth hour, the eighth hour is gonna be on high in that crock pot or that Traeger with the foil tin. But my favorite is probably when they're in the rice. They're a younger goose. I'm going to, I want the veal. I want the veal <laughs> selection of a snow goose that hasn't had a lot of miles put on it yet. And I want, uh, there's going to be two things I do with it. I'm going to do a, a, a sandwich like we did it with surf scoter the other day, where you take it out and you mallet it and tenderize it and you get it real thin and then you egg dip it and then egg wash it in a dip. And then uh, you're going to, crust it with whatever you like panko you like cheese it's you guys are a fish fry culture up there i know you guys have a ton of cool breading options up there but then i flash fry it in 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 a real good olive oil at a high temp you can use vegetable oil which is better for frying but i love the flavor of a good olive oil and then i put it on that bun with a um, maybe a piece of pepper jack cheese or i don't use any cheese at all and i just like the taste of that breading mixed with that with that you know medium rare fried meat that's a good way to do it And then gumbos, man, anything that a Cajun will do with a roux (laughs) or a gumbo will blow your mind with snow geese. I don't care if they're 30 years old or or five months old. You put those legs in there and keep adding that breast meat throughout the day with a cold bud light in your hand and you stir that roux or that gumbo all day long, you're going to have something that's going to be. Dang it, man. K- That's what I love about Duck Camp. When I go to Duck Camp and I find out that there's a group of Cajuns from Louisiana there, I become fast friends with them because they're going to be the ones <laughs> to eat
0: for four days. <laughs> that,
1: that might be our pro tip of the week right there. That
0: Heck last yeah. part, make some friends with some Cajuns. I, like yeah, some I, that.
2: I was just going to say another good way, I, I touched on it before, but grinding it up and making your own sausages and, and bratwurst and, I mean, hot Italian, sweet Italian chorizo. We did in three or four hours the other day we did 117 pounds of grind Oof. so the, of all like snowy so you you get you take that and it tastes unbelievable right there we made it we flash fried it and we made some um street tacos with the chorizos right there with with uh Remy Warren the other day and now we got to do another you know <laughs> 100 pounds of it again but that's a good way as like I said it's a good way to get give presents and give it back to the farmers or give it back to whoever you, you know, you hunt with uh, friends and family, but you can, there's a lot of different mixes you can do with that uh, and make a lot of different flavorings and For sure. breakfast burritos or dinner or anything. So grind is a lot of, to just because there's a sheer amount of animals that you're able to kill in the spring. It's a, you know, just to cut it off and eat a steak of a snow goose. You can only do that so many times. But to grind it up and then make all these different meals out of it, uh, of the grind, is a a really good way too.
0: You mentioned burritos and tacos. What do you prefer, burritos or tacos? What's better? (laughs) Tacos.
2: Tacos for sure.
0: Ah. Yeah. (laughs) This is, this (laughs) is. Did you just
2: lose a bet, Jimmy?
0: I didn't lose a bet. I just lost all hope in everyone around me right now. What That's what happened.
1: Jim loves to ask this Everything
0: question. You guys said up until now sounded really smart, and now I'm questioning <laughs> it all.
1: Everything.
2: We stayed, at, we stayed. at a Holiday Inn once. That's all, all we know about that.
1: Side. I don't know, Jim. I mean, I think all seems right in the world right now. You, oh, you, sure Jim, you Jim's a, his right as rain. Jim's now. a big burrito guy. <clears throat> yeah. I'll, I'll take street tacos any day of the week. We've been at this. Oh, yeah. Is an internal. Debate, an ongoing debate, and uh, it's been like a hundred percent tacos lately, Jim No, it hasn't. It hasn't well, actually oh, at all. Oh, sorry, it you're counting all. your own vote. It has
0: not been a hundred percent tacos. It's a very even race, as a matter of I fact. Think, I think neck. I'm going
2: to go make a street taco right now for lunch.
1: I, that counts again. I'm going to count that one again. Well, Clay <laughs> counts as two now. All right. Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, sometimes we always Hey, all let me see that enjoy. vortex
0: shirt you're right there.
1: Oh, What's the, that? Oh, Jim's. Yeah, Jim's got
0: one. Yeah, oh. I do. I do. I want so, the new ones. This is actually one of the newer it's, ones. Yeah, it's got it's that's it's brick. got some stretch actually in the arm area. It it moves nice. Some some paneling. Some breathability. I hope
3: it has. I hope it has some stretch in the bicep area, dude. You look like you've been hitting the gym pretty good.
0: Oh, well, you know, I try. It's, I, I liked it before, since I know we got the cameras going, you know, a little bit of stuffing here and there and the <laughs> sleeves that never hurts.
1: Nobody, <laughs> nobody knows the difference when you're wearing long I'm sleeves. I'm excited.
2: We're, we're supposed to be getting some uh, new gear that's going to be coming out. Huh? I bet oh, that's,
1: yeah? I mean, that should be, it's at the minimum in route, so you yeah. might want to check your doorstep today. Mark, you don't even have a watch, or nice. are you just checking? Is that optics
3: and apparel or just optics?
2: Apparel today, and then uh, the new Spark. For turkey hunting,
3: yep, yes, sir. In a couple days, so yeah let's go on a turkey hunt. Y'all ought to come out to California and kill one of these rios with us.
1: I'm in. Sounds good. I I literally <laughs> am leaving this and getting on the airplane. Ah, well, it's probably not turkey season yet. I'll see you guys in a couple weeks.
2: That Jimmy, what? I like your 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 observation with Mark. There, he's checked his wrist like three times and he doesn't wear a watch. What is that all about?
1: I don't know. It's uh <laughs>
0: symbolism. He's never been a watch okay. guy. That explains why he's late to everything. I do need to get a watch. <laughs> I do need to get a watch. This is a oh, true that wasn't statement. Even, uh, that, that sounds like a dig to anybody else, but, uh, you know, it's just, at this point, it's a pretty common thing. It's not even a dig, but, yeah. Yeah, all the, the new gear, I, though, I have one. Fi-
2: I have one final question for you, though, Mark. What's that? Were you the one that farted? Oh, God. Cut. Cut. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I I pay attention to what's happening over there in the old uh, vortex.
1: Heartgate twenty one. So I can yeah. say, uh, what's that? When somebody's been framed, when what uh, def- framed defamation of character? Uh, <laughs> I don't know all the things that can happen to a person when they are accused of something that simply was made up slash not true. Okay, let's let's. They Talk made a lot about, of people believe it. Let's get into some facts and figures here. Hey, Jim, hey, how about to, we tell
0: the whole story? Hold on. I am about to tell the whole story. Oh, really? The whole story, right? well, the whole story didn't get told on to Instagram. Say, what I'm about to say is that very clearly this was this was a setup from the beginning. This was a This was a, what do they call that, a kill mission against you and I. They're trying to replace us. Because they're pitting us against one another. They're saying one of us farted on camera in a live Facebook event for new products. When in reality, I can tell you without a doubt that the fart came from behind the camera. <laughs> from I the grassy knoll. Something.
2: I'm sorry, guys. Jesus.
0: Well, it, came from, it came from behind the this camera. Is pretty big. Nobody's going to own up to it, but I know it came from behind the camera. Pretty big public accusation Yeah. here. <laughs>
3: is this going to be on this podcast? It, I
0: don't Yeah, know, we're recording not. still. We're still live. We haven't actually said bye yet, so it's
1: still going.
2: <laughs> sorry, I, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry I brought it up. That's
1: that's the beauty of editing. That's oh, the that's beauty good. of. Oh yeah. no, it's all it's all in it's all in good fun. This isn't the first I time that it's it. come up, and it won't be the last. Yeah, yeah. Oh. There'll probably be a whoopee cushion under our chairs when we get back. So, oh dear. <laughs> Um, I appreciate it fellas. Yeah. Thank you guys. No, thank you guys so much for coming on and, and sharing your knowledge and your insight. Like truly, truly means a lot to us. We appreciate all the support. Uh, you guys are, you know, just, just killing it out there and, and appreciate you as human beings and, and friends as well. So like you said, man, let's, uh, let's work to get together at some point here and, and yeah, uh, sure. maybe put them spark solars to the test. So cool guys. Well, thank well, you very guys,
0: much. I be a part of the family, man. Thank, you, thank you guys. Awesome. Well yeah, and, and thanks everybody out there for listening too. We appreciate it. Uh if we got any big snow snow goose hunters out there in the audience listening to this, definitely hit us up. Let us know in the comments on YouTube or on Instagram. And uh, also follow these guys. There seems to be probably about a hundred and fifty seven different pages. I'm sure they can find you guys at. Where's the one that they should go to first and foremost? Being that we just got done talking about snow goose. Which one should they check out? Fowl Life first?
2: Uh, yeah, Foul Life T V at the right. foul
0: life on instagram and
3: facebook and the foul all
0: right right on we'll go with that one so uh <laughs> hey
3: guys <laughs> yeah july, july 2nd season 13 of benelli's the foul life it premieres on the outdoor channel july 2nd through december 26th and uh, we got a lot of cool stories you were getting ready to tell and uh, hopefully everybody can join us there at the outdoor channel
1: mark it all right i just marked my calendar and i'll set my watch to it jim <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> sounds good <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll catch you on the next one. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.
0: All right. That'll wrap it up for this episode of the Vortex Nation podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hit that subscribe button so you can always stay up to date on the latest happenings over here at the Vortex Nation podcast. Leave us a review or comment down below. We want to hear what you have to say about the show, maybe what you like, maybe what you didn't like, so that way we can make these podcasts as good as they can be.